Well, thank you very much. It's good to be in the service today with you. Um, I've got to do my technical. There I'm on. Okay. Um, I always find that um, anything that can go wrong usually does. So it's better to try to plan ahead so at least you have plan B in place. And um, so I'm glad to be here this morning. I appreciate the opportunity to come and, and minister with you and to worship God together. And that's really the key. That's, that's the whole point of what we've come together. I appreciated the songs. I appreciated the music. I appreciated the involvement of the congregation. And yet each of those things are for the purpose of worshiping God. And, and you know, God, he, he is, I don't understand it sometimes, he's happy to have us do these things to honor him. He made the sun, the earth, the sky. He made the beautiful land outside. He made you and I. He made all those creations. You know, if I had done anything close to that, I would sit back and go, I'm doing pretty good. That was great. I don't need anything else after that. But, but it tells me in the word of God that he's thrilled when we honor him, when we praise him. We sang songs this morning about following Christ, about doing what he wants us to do, about finding the blessings that come from doing those things. We sang songs, everything from about the blood and its power to the leading of Christ to the songs, the happiness, the day. And, and I like that for children to learn early that it doesn't matter what the day is, it can still be good. That's a lesson most people out there have not learned. Um, they feel like that their world is controlling them. When God tells us we can control our world, we can, we can respond with the power of God as we confront things and good or bad, God's got a way through it for us. And what a transformation that is in the life of a person who's not a Christian to become a Christian is to realize that I'm not under the, the uh, authority of those things around me. I can choose the authority that I'm going to be under. Yeah. You know, there's a whole mindset that says you're stuck where you're at. You can't get out of it. Somebody needs to coddle you, care for you, provide for you. But Jesus says, no, you're not stuck where you're at. I came to convert you, to redeem you. All of those things are turning something that's nothing into something that's valuable. Amen. And so when we look at the authority of Christ, when we look at his authority in our life, it's critical for us as Christians to understand that it's not just honoring and praising the authority of God, but it's incredibly our part to accept the authority of God, to follow the authority of God, to honor the authority of God. It's not just saying, I believe. That's the beginning. But Jesus himself said when he talked to Nicodemus, you've got to believe to be born again. But then you've got to choose to follow the light and choose to not follow the darkness. His authority then is not simply our acknowledgement, getting a label put on us or a bumper sticker for the back of our car or a phrase that we repeat in front of individuals. It goes into the depths of our heart. It transforms how we feel. It transforms what we love. It transforms what we think. It transforms what we do. And if we're not living to that level, friend, we're not really accepting the authority of God. We're saying, I think you're good. I think you're great. I, I would honor you over any of the others, but please let me have my life. When he asks us to give him our life, because he gave his life for us. Jesus had what's called the Sermon on the Mount. 
A number of years ago, I had the privilege of being in the area where he preached that Sermon on the Mount. And I remember standing in that grassy meadow above the Sea of Galilee and just thinking, what would it have been like to be here with 5,000 men, their wives, their friends, their children, all of these people gathered here and hearing Jesus speak. And I just wanted to sit down and hear it myself. Well, I don't have that privilege. One day, maybe, maybe we'll get to, but he did give it to us. It's there for us in a recorded word. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6 through 29. It's a bit of scripture reading, so I hope that you'll not mind if I go through it, but it's good to read God's word. Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you or attack you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children... How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess of them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, he shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Who is your authority? That's the question the Sermon on the Mount ends with. 
We have so many truths that Jesus brings us. Three chapters basically encapsulating this sermon, the teachings of Christ. But the last question is, who is your authority? Are you building on sand or are you building on a rock? The people that were there, they said, this guy's got it. He's got more authority in what he has to say than a teacher down the street at the synagogue or our temple. He's got it. But you and I know it wasn't too long after that. They nailed him to a cross and said he doesn't have it. You know, knowing and recognizing the authority and the power of God's word is just the beginning of a relationship with God. And the region of France, there's a region called the Alcas region of France, was once part of Germany. It's French now, but before World War II, it was a part of France. Before World War II, it was under Germans. Before that, it was under the, under the Prussian War, it was captured by the Germans and taken from the French. Every time they have that transition, there's been a change of language, a change of names, a change of uh, culture, a change of education, a change of business, a change of finances. The four years, or four to eight years, that, that when Hitler took over this region of France, he changed the gravestones, he changed their surnames, he changed their education program, he brought in his own teaching, he changed the names of the villages, he made them learn to speak German, where they had been speaking a form of French. You know, when Germany fell and France captured it back, everything flipped back the other way. Now that's kind of a historical presentation of what having your authority can do in your life. Who you choose as an authority doesn't just change your national identity. It changes what you eat. It changes what's appropriate between families. It changes your property values. It changes all those things. Who your authority is, Jesus is bringing to us, will change your destination. It will change your actions. It will change your behavior. The authority of the conqueror determines the language, names, culture, education, and countless other issues. You and I can choose whose authority we serve. That's called the opportunity of salvation, the good news. That you are not stuck in your environment. You are not stuck in your family heritage. You are not stuck in your mental challenges, your emotional struggles. You're not stuck in your economic situation. You are not stuck in the background of your culture or where you're from. Friend, when you come to Jesus Christ, he births you again. He gives you a new life. He converts you. He redeems you. And he sets you on a path of constant holy living and constant holy improvement to where what you were when you became a convert to him and you accepted Christ as your Savior is not who you are 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later. And for all of us that are alive 50, 60, 70 years later, it's definitely going to be different. I know it's going to be different for me. I hope to be walking streets of gold in the presence of God. I mean, I like you guys, but I want to see angels and I want to see the holy people of God. Will you join me there? That's the call of holiness. That's the call of the gospel. That our, our surrender to him is the beginning of a walk of life that's ever improving and changing and becoming more and more and more and more aligned to his will in our life. So in this matter of authority that he speaks of, there's, there's a lot of times when I like to have some quick references. You know, I like when they put the, the little compass on the dashboard. Um, I, I have fairly good sense of direction. I have a horrible sense of time. So you guys hang on. I don't know when lunch is. 
Uh, when we, we go somewhere, my wife goes, why, where, where are we going? I said, well, it's just right down here. I can turn right. I'm heading north. I'm going to go, go, you know, head that direction where we need to go. And, and she'll go, but why go that way? Because that'll take us five minutes longer. And I say, because I like the trip. I know where I'm, I know how to get there. I'm not worried about getting lost, but yes, I didn't think about the two minutes longer by waiting at the railroad crossing or going through that heavier section of town where the lights change red every time you come through, but she does. Um, so we've, we've worked it out, folks. I mean, you could do, I mean, God's good for you and he can help you in your marriage too. And uh, so I, I've learned to say, okay, we're going there and I have a map in my mind, at least three or four at least. And she says, well, we've only got, 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Which would you choose? I just. <laughs> and then she tells me, I would go this way and turn there because you'll avoid. I said, That's fine. We're going that way. I know what we're doing that way. So I like to have those references in life. Um, and, and whatever you do, you know, if you're a machinist, there, there's little, little acronyms you stick in your brain to help you to remember the formulas. If, if you're a, a nurse or a, a doctor or a lawyer, there's, there's little patterns you stay in. You know your sweet spot. You hit it, you're fine. Uh, somebody asks you a question outside of that, you say, you know what, I need to research that a little bit, which means I don't know what you're talking about. But it's your little phrase to get out of that emergency situation. So I like to have those little grab them quick phrases and, and references and so forth. So in this matter of knowing whether we're under the authority of Christ, or what I say to you as young people starting out and you're trying to serve God and you want to, right now a lot of times as a young person, the idea of serving God is fitting into the culture of your church or fitting into the expectations of your parents. But I, I, I want to give you some, some side notes here that what Jesus says here at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, he gives us at least four elements of authority that we need to come to grips with. The authority of God's value, he says, give not that which is holy unto dogs. The authority of limitations, enter ye in at the straight gate. Accept the limitations, choose them. Authority of accountability, ye shall know them by their fruits. And the final authority of Christ, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me. He has that kind of authority. When we look at the authority of God and God's value, he says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you, tear you apart. So there's several elements that we see there. And this matter of accepting the authority of God and, and what he says is right and what he says is wrong, the first thing that you have to come to grips with, that I have to come to grips with, is you as a new convert, as a confessor of faith in Jesus Christ, of a repenter of sins. That means I'm turning from my sins. It's not, God, get me out of this problem where I had the accident. But God, I, wanna, I want you to deliver me from the, the tendency to speed and not pay attention to things. I want you to deliver me from my alcohol drinking or my drugs. I want you to deliver me from trying to show off to all the neighbors how fast I can spin my wheels. Whatever the sin is behind that. That's, that's what you're asking him. You're not just saying, get me out of this mess, but God, keep me from doing it again. I'm willing to turn my life around if you'll just show me how to find reverse and spin the wheel. Because I don't know, I didn't know how I got here. I don't, I mean, really, do you know how you got where you're at? Do you know when you got into problems, how you got there? Most of us go, oh, I'm in a mess. That's about the most clear definition we can say. And we hope somebody will let us go, or we hope we can find the money or get out of it and get through it. A friend years ago, I talked to him. He got into an argument with his brother. 
a big argument. And they were an arguing family, so it was a big, big argument for their family. And, and he was so mad, he, he just, I thought he was going to kill his brother. And he said, I got so mad, I just, I just went and bought me a bunch of alcohol, and I drank for three days, and I stayed stoned for about a week. I'm like, well, what happened then? He said, well, when I came out of it, it was like, oh, it's been a week, I guess it's all over. I want to tell you, God wants to give you something better than that. He wants to help you to learn to confront your weaknesses and become stronger. He wants to help you to to deal with those hurts and heal from those hurts. He doesn't want you staying imprisoned in all those things and saying, well, it's all right. I love you anyway. He, He loves us, but he wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature in him. He wants us to become better than what we were because that's God. He's not calling us just to be stagnant and saying, I can't help you, buddy. You know, I won't hold you to that. Don't worry about it. Just suffer forever. One guy told me, he said he had an alcoholic problem, and he said, I guess if God's grace ever delivers me from alcohol, I'll quit drinking, but until then, I'm just going to go to every whiskey bar I can find. Friend, I'm I'm glad I serve a God that says, I can deliver you. I can set you free. You don't have to stay in it. He lost his wife. He lost his business. He lost his cars. He lost his income. He didn't serve a God that could help him a bit. I hope you know you serve a God that can deliver you from those afflictions. They're not, they are not permanent. And so you have to understand something, Fred. You are holy. You say, well, no, I've got this problem. I've got this problem. God says you are holy. Are you going to debate him? And because you're holy, don't waste your holy things before the swine and the dogs. Your life, your looks, your loves, your passions... Your environment, the things that you choose to do, we need to look at them and understand, I am the temple of God. I'm I'm not the mud shack in the corner. That might be what I look like to you, but he says I'm his temple. I'm going to polish the mud up. I'm going to see if I can't get some a little bit architectural design going on here to stand out. I'm God's man. I'll tell you what, when we begin to accept the fact that God sees us as holy and we need to look at ourselves as holy, then we need to understand we need not be wasting our time with things that will eat us up and destroy us. You're the temple. You're holy. No matter what, as you've accepted him. But friend, even if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, I want you to understand he sees you like a jeweler sees a diamond in a gravel bed. Oh, everybody else walks on top of it. He says, what is that lousy thing? God says, that's a diamond, man. And jeweler goes, that's a diamond. You give me some time with it, I can polish it. I can cut it. I can crack it. I can, I can get down to where we get rid of all the flaws as much as possible. And it'll just sparkle. And, and, and God looks at us that way. You look at yourself and you say, well, if I could get rid of this problem, I could be a Christian. If I could, didn't, wasn't raised the way I am, I could be a Christian. Oh, no, friend. You, you don't understand. God looks at you and goes, whoo. That's a holy child. Oh my, have I, I've got, I can do so much with that young man, that young woman. If they'll just give themselves to me and let me start to get rid of the the scouring of of what life they've been in and the filth and the pollutants that's been attached to them. And they will not ever comprehend what they're going to be under me. You're holy. Oh, God help us to understand when we step out of here and we go to school, we go to work, our language, everything about us. 
I'm holy. You say, well, you might not be as holy as somebody else. In God's eyes, you're holy. But friend, how holy do you want to be? How rich do you want to be? How beautiful do you want to be? How athletic do you want to be? I'll bet all of you have an idea of that. How holy do you want to be? Do we wonder sometimes why we're losing people to the world? When sometimes we ourselves are still pretty attached to the world? We're more concerned about our bank account than our prayer record. We're more concerned about hearing from the governor than we are from God. Oh, God says you're holy. Don't waste the holy on the dogs. You possess valuable properties. First Corinthians says, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit and your body, which are God's. There's a lot of times in life when you feel like I think all of us have felt like, I'm done. I'm done. I, I, have, I have worked hard. I pastored for 34 years. They're, they always said Monday's the worst day for a pastor. You know, I, I preached. I, I told the church sometimes, I, I thought sometimes I could get up and I could just go, and they would go, yes, sir, amen, praise the Lord, amen. I was speaking in Romania years ago. Those people had just come out of communism. They would sit there because they were used to having spies in their church that would watch them to see if they responded to anything the preacher said that they could turn against them and cause them to lose their jobs. So they basically sat like this all in service. And I was used to making eye contact. I'm trying to do it with you guys. I try to see expressions in your face, see if that's making sense. I was trying to do that. And I knew a lot of them came just to hear English because they're all trying to learn English because they all wanted to come to Cleveland, Ohio. I told them, I said, I think everybody in Romania has an uncle in Cleveland. And so about the, and, and I was not supposed to be preaching. I had one book with me, one Bible study book. And the first thing they did was ask me to preach in a Sunday morning service, or no, to speak to the youth. And then I came out of that. They said, could you preach in a service? I'm like, yeah, Okay. And then they asked me, he said, well, we won't have you speak this evening. And then they called the house that I was staying at and said, we've got two, char- two churches that have afternoon services, Bader and I forget what the other one was. And I said, could you go out there and preach to them? They'd like to hear you preach. And I'm like, okay. So I preached two services that afternoon, got back to the house I was staying, and think, oh, good, I'm so glad I don't have to preach this evening. And I grabbed a, I think, a cup of tea or something like that, walked to the church. So they got there, the pastor came out and said, we would like to have you speak this evening. You talk about praying, oh God, give me a message here. I, I just, I used the quick one I had, you know, and I, I don't like to re-preach sermons, so I'm always like feeling like I got to find what God wants for that. So I'm, I'm pre- then we had, we were doing five vacation Bible schools. My group did three, the other group did two, and I came back from the three that we did on Monday, and the um, pastor called me and said, our youth would like to have a youth meeting with you. Would you, could you do a youth meeting? And I'm like, Okay. And so I ended up doing a youth meeting every night. So in the middle of that, it began to wear on me. I was not getting any response. And I'm thinking, Lord, are they, am I saying anything that makes sense to them? And I was really down. And I'm praying. I say, oh, God, help me, help me, help me. 
And God said, are you preaching what I told you to preach? Right. Yeah. He goes, then what does it matter? Oh. Oh. Do you realize that God can use your side comment to a cashier to bring conviction into her heart and deliver her from an addiction that you didn't even know about? Do you realize that when you say, I'm going to pray about this, and you actually pray about it, that the God of heaven hears and orchestrates the responses that begin to take place? We don't even sometimes pay attention. Do you understand that you have knowledge as a church? You you have sat and listened to wisdom that's thousands of years old every Sunday. When most of your friends at school that you attend with have not watched anything, learned anything that's any newer than the last 10 days. You know, they're, they're, they're viewing whatever's popular right now. They have no length or depth hardly. They don't understand the rest of the world. You've had missionaries from all around the world. You, you've sat and gathered with congregation of younger and older people. You're, you're coordinating with people. When, when so much of the rest of the world barely has any connection outside there, they don't even have a family anymore. Do you understand the possessions of valuable things that God has placed in your heart and your life? Oh, my friend, be careful. You're you're walking around a rich person in so many ways in a world that wants to rob you and devalue all those things. And he says, you be careful, be vigilant and sober. And then he says that you better be careful because you're in danger. You're holy, but you're in danger. Two key elements to accepting the authority of God's values. You say, well, the world doesn't value these things. I, I, I spoke to a congregation one time, several services, about you are beautiful and how that God tells us we are beautiful in his eyes. And I, I stressed it over and over again. In the last service, I asked, how many of you feel like you're beautiful? Nobody raised their hands. Why? Because that's embarrassing. I would be proud saying I'm beautiful. God said you're beautiful. Hey, God, you say it. I believe it. Well, I'm not really beautiful. I don't have the sharp little nose and the cute little ears. God said you're beautiful with a big floppy, you know, and whatever, bulgous nose. You know, he said you're beautiful. Grab it. I had a friend that was a missionary to New Guinea, and she, she had a nose that was like a Roman ark. And uh, she, I mean, it just was, I'm here. And then her face came into the room. And... <laughs> She said she got, to, she got to New Guinea and those men were following her around just, ooh, because all their women had flat noses and they just thought that was just so gorgeous to have a large nose that came out so big. She grew up being told it was an Italian background, you know, and oh, you just got that huge nose. You need to get nose surgery. Have you ever thought about how we define beauty based on the culture we're in? If you're a Christian and your culture is God and he says you're beautiful... What's the argument? Why are you discouraged when somebody else says, she's prettier than you? <laughs> That's you, a mere mortal. God says, I'm gorgeous. God says, I'm handsome. I don't want to battle with that. The other authority is the limitations and rejections of a primary, and a primary goal. I think anybody in leadership knows that you have to teach people to understand you don't just in churches, I call it this. We, are, we have a choice of either being a museum or a mission. Now, it's important to hang on to our, our, our culture, our traditions, our standards of life and so forth, because those came for a reason. 
But at the same time, we're not about just creating statues and paintings. We're to be going out in the world. And believe it or not, there's always transitions that occur and move as we take on new challenges. But friend, we're not just to have a mission alone because we can leave all of our biblical basis behind trying to prove we're productive to a Fortune 500 company level standard. But we're to have the mission and a mindset of honoring God and keeping with the things that he's told us. Those, and as individuals, I hope that every one of you know what it's like to have a personal conviction. Your wife might not even understand why you're careful about that, but you know God talked to you about it. You say, well, I don't know. That sounds like a lot of legal guard. Here we go. You're going to enter into the straight gate. You know, think about it. We, sometimes the world looks on and they say, well, you guys limit yourself so much. You could do all these things and, you know, gender identity to marital relations to how you do your finances and stealing from other people. Just call it borrowing for long term. You know, just all kinds of ideas that they, oh, you know, you're not flexible enough. You're so rigid. You're so, but look at what happens. The guy that's a millionaire broker somehow ends up in three years in jail. What happened? He hit his limitation. That guy that was a, 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 you know, using all the drugs to build his body up and become a musk. Three, five years. Where's he at? He's in a hospital. He's sitting in a wheelchair. Natural limitation. A guy keeps having affair after affair and telling him, oh, this is the wild, what we have an open marriage. And, and then he ends up broke and destitute because of all the divorce he's gone through and all the people suing him all of a sudden because they're not calling it an open affair. They're calling it a lot worse than that. I mean, just look around. So there's limitations everywhere. But as a Christian, you choose. You choose to follow the limitations that God has put into your life. You say, I want to, I'm going to limit. So it's like on a road trip and you say, let's, let's take 77 as far as it goes. Your wife goes, oh, look, there's a nice little clothing store. And they, or there's a nice restaurant, you say, a buffet. And, and so you pull off and, and you get lost in the turn. And you say, well, you know, I think, I think there's another highway over here. So you kind of drive over there. And what happens? You never get to your goal. You never get to your destination. And so in this matter, he says, you, you need to pick and choose. And the first thing you do is you choose the authority of God to define. And he does. If you want to know it, just start reading his word. He'll give you rules and, and, and guidances. And people say, oh, that limits me. Someone told me one time with the Ten Commandments, they said, well, you know, that's just a bunch of limits. That spawned me to start thinking. And I, thought, I wonder if I can flip all those. And... You know, a lot of times you deal with the world, as soon as you mention something like Christianity or the Ten Commandments or the Bible, they go, oh. You can't talk, you can't reason with them. You're so stupid. You're so whatever. And so I've tried to come up with other ways to kind of, I used to ask people, do they live, had any sins that they needed to forgive? And they go, oh, I don't have any sins. I mean, people call things sins. So, you know what I, I started doing? If you had something in your life you'd like to change, what is it? It was usually a sin. <laughs> but they didn't, they, you know, when you use the word sin, it was like their walls went up. They wouldn't talk to you. But when you said you have something wrong in your life, you want to change. Yeah, I really wish I had more patience. I wish I had more of this. You know what? God can, can he? You know, they never got past the first hurdle. So in this matter of the, the straight gate, 
We come to God and we say, what, what do you want in my life? I'm surrendering my life to you. And he begins to give us. So with the Ten Commandments, the first one, thou shalt have no other God before me. And I thought about that. That's a limit. Hard limit. Hard rule. And I thought, what's the flip of that? I'm God. You don't need any other God but me. I got everything handled. You ask me for anything, I can take care of it. You can go, go serve the God of the tide or serve the God of the river or serve the God of the thunderstorm or serve the God of the flower bed. You can go serve all those little gods. You don't even know what they never left you a book behind. They never gave you a prophet to teach you. Go serve the God of the early sunset or the early sunrise. And, and go, you go, all those gods that the world's got out there, you can, I got it all. I'm the God. You don't need another God. I'm the bank that's got all the money and understands everything about you. I, I know where you came from. I know where you can go to. I have plans for you that are plans of good, not of evil. I, plan, I have purposes that build in all around you. You don't need another God. You know, so many times in life, we can look at these, these narrow way that God wants us to walk in and say, I don't like it. Oh, my friend, you could be in that Broadway over there banging into cliff and rock and smacking into other people and destroying your family and destroying your life and wonder, what happened there? Like you're on a bad roller coaster. And say, well, I, I, I don't want limits in my life. Yeah, you got limits anyway. You're only going to live so long. Oh, but to accept the narrow way and say, okay, God. And he says, then remember the goal. Never forget the goal. You're going to heaven. You're going to life eternal. You're going to something far better than what's here. So when you have down times, bad times, discouraging times, lift your head up and look at the goal. And as a Christian, that's part of the authority of God in our life that we accept that goal is real. It's, it's attainable. I can get there. I can do that. I want to do that because I don't want to be a part of what I see, the crest of all the things that are going around me and all the messes and all the, the pain and agony. And, and I can only imagine what it would be like to spend eternity with all these people. When I don't even like spend the afternoon with them. I want to get to heaven. I want to get to heaven with people who want to be in heaven, who have allowed God to guide in their life. There's the authority of limitations, the straight gate, the narrow way. He says, learn not the way of the heathen and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. There's the authority of rejecting. You say, what does that mean? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Sometimes we've been made to feel guilty when we say, no, I don't do that. Why not? They tell you that. Want to go to church? No, I don't go to church. Want to go drinking with me? Go to a party, have some drugs? No, I don't do that. Oh, what's wrong with you judging me? Well, you just judged me. <laughs> no, right? He told me not to do that. No, I'm not going to do it. And sometimes I look around and it says, you know, to avoid the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. How do you sort some of these things out? You know, it's not a bad idea every once in a while. Just take a notepad and say, what does the world do first thing in the morning? What does the world do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? What does the world tend to do with their money? I mean, there's all kinds of resources that will tell you that. And then ask yourself, what do I do? How much do I line up with how the world's doing things? Hmm. I'm supposed to be more like him and less like the world. When personal convictions can come in and God says, right there is something I've been trying to talk to you about for 25 years. And all of a sudden it makes sense. 
I thought that was a little nothing, but that's where it's got me now, and I'm having all these problems. Hmm. The authority to reject, the authority of the goal. The third authority that he brings to us is the authority of accountability. You shall know them by their fruits. Our culture is doing a whole lot to tell us that we cannot judge or discern and base things off of what somebody does. We have to accept what they're thinking. What they're what they're what they tell us their motive is for it. But he he tells us you can't have a good motive and a bad fruit. And we've got to accept that about ourselves. You want to advance your church so you start trashing people in the community so that other people won't go with them. No, he says, love your enemies. You want to advance your marriage so you, you put all kinds of things into it, telling if you'll do this, you kids do this, you do that, and yet God tells us, don't, don't, you've got to love your wife. You've got to respect your husband. Don't irritate your kids to where they're ready to just jump up and start screaming all kinds of profanities and vulgars and go show you what they can do. You know what I'm saying? You, you can get caught up trying to do good but have bad results. Anytime that starts to happen, it ought to cause every one of us to just hesitate and say, wait a minute. I better pay attention to the results. Why? Because he said you'd better pay attention to the results. And sometimes you're on the right, and sometimes it's the situation you're dealing with. But believe me, you have a God that can come alongside of you and help you to tweak it just right and redeem that situation. And it might be some humility and eating crow for you and apologizing and saying, you know what, guys, I, I, I thought I had the mind of God, but I think I had more of my own opinion. And God's began to show me this. I'll tell you what, our kids, if they see their parents talk like that, it has a huge impact. You can recite laws and you can recite scriptures and recite family traditions, but friend, when you back up and tell them God talked to you about this, it opens up a door for them to understand the reality of serving God. You shall know them by their fruits. You need to recognize good and evil results. There is good. There is evil. We're in a culture mindset now that there is none. It's just everything's good. Just don't talk about it. As Christians, we've got to stick with the reality. There is good and there is evil. And it's not for me to define alone. It's to define it by God because it gets so swirling, confusing sometimes that I'm not sure I remember where that ever came from or who said it or what was behind it. It just came in. They began to project it at work. I said, okay, I want to keep my job. I want to get through this class. I want to do that. But it, it slowly began to erode my, my thinking, my pattern of living. And suddenly I find myself years later thinking, how did I get here? We've got to understand there is good and evil. Not just out there. It can be in here. And I've got to recognize when it's good and it's helping and blessing me, I need to enhance and encourage that. When it's evil, I need to get rid of it. And I can through God's power. Because if I don't, I'll be the tree that's cut down and thrown in a fire. Accountability to God for judgment. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. The final authority of four is what Christ ends up at the beginning. At the end, after he tells everything, he says and tells a story about the, 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 the person who doesn't follow his word, heard it but didn't follow it, and they build a house and it just crashes and crumbles. They build it well. They face the same things you and I would face, but because their foundation was on sand, it doesn't make it. He said, so basically, what are you building on? What was the authority of your life? You ever, you ever thought about a foundation, how it's an authority? Any of you builders? No builders here? 
you can't, okay, you can't build a house beyond the strength of the foundation. You can't build a house beyond the design of the foundation. If you want a ranch, it's got to be a foundation for a ranch. Two stories, same thing. I mean, the foundation is what everything begins with to determine what's going above it. And that's what Jesus is saying here. If you don't have your foundation in me, then you don't, you don't have stability, security. You don't have eternity. We, we tend to want to grow and add on as we go, but God says you better start out right. He says, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And if you notice there, they said, we did this, we did that. We talked about you here and there. And he says, I never knew you. Do you know Jesus? You could be teaching a class and reading the Bible and singing the songs. You could be arguing in a political realm. And But do you know Jesus? That's what he identified. You did all those things, but I never knew you. So friend, what is our knowledge of God? How do we think about that? Somebody says, I know you. (laughs) You're like, sometimes it's embarrassing. Years ago, I was at a conference. A fellow walked up and he says, Dan! I said, hey! I'm like, oh, come on, brain. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? And I I had like six names running through my head and I kind of looked familiar to all of them. He goes, yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing good. What are you doing? Where are you at now? I'm hoping, tell me a name. Tell me a place. Something, you know, to get me started out here. And And he didn't. And I'm like, oh, man. I said, hey, you know, I don't remember your name. It's just ego gone, pride gone. I'm an idiot. I forgot your name. This is Denny. Denny, oh, yeah, yeah, we were in school together. Yeah, he said, remember, you pushed my car down over the hill, and I had to get a tow truck to get it out. <laughs> Did I know Denny? He knew me better than I knew him. Do you know Jesus? Have you talked to him recently? Have you really poured your heart out to him? You say, well, I'm not that level of Christian. My friend, I'm talking about how you can tell who your authority is. How can he be an authority in your life if you don't talk to him? If you don't know him and you haven't allowed to understand in your heart, he knows you. But you know what it's like to sit down with somebody who they know you better than you think you know yourself sometimes. And when you get close to Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, with all of its promises and all of its power and all of its encouragement comes down to the question that we all have to face. And the young guys over here, I don't know where the old people are. We've got Accept the authority of Christ. Who is your authority? Not the sticker on your bumper. Not your membership at the place. But I'm asking you, who is your authority? Let's stand this morning.
Our Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would dismiss us, give us your blessing and your help throughout this day. And most of all, in each of our minds, as we drive home, as we talk, as we sit and look out in the yard, whatever may be for our day, that we give ourselves time to think and to ask you, Lord, am I really allowing you to be the authority in my life? And if he affirms that, let's praise you, Lord, and then ask how we can do better, because you have so much more in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.